Wow. What a way to start the day. Come on, somebody. What a way to start the day. Good to see you. Welcome, Polaris, Short North, Hilliard, those who are watching online, on television. And uh, let's put our hands together for the many, many, many men and women joining us from behind bars. Come on. It is an honor to be with you. Y'all can have a seat wherever you're you're from. We're we're glad that that you're here, and it it is always uh, a privilege to be with you, and you can't be here. I I just want to continue to encourage those of you who can be in person, who might just, because it's easy, you've been staying home, and it's like, I can get my church in on the couch. You can, sort of, but it's not the full thing. Come on, somebody. It's It's not the whole deal. If you have to, I get that. Um, we'll, we'll keep piping the service into your home. But if you can be in person, there, there's just nothing. There is nothing that compares to the anointing that's on a corporate worship experience. These, are, these aren't just services. These are worship experiences. And, and it is an experience, not just to be in the presence of God, but, but to be surrounded by so many people who love Jesus. Amen. So let me just go ahead and encourage you. I'm not yelling at anybody. I'm just encouraging you to get to church if you can get to church. And if you want to follow along today, we're going to continue our series on the book of Habakkuk. We're actually concluding our series on the book of Habakkuk today. Because next week, we start a brand new series called We Think It's a Really Big Deal. And if you want to know what is the it, well, you have to come back next week to find out. So, um, and if you're watching online or on television, we'll just bleep the it out the whole time so you won't know what we're talking about unless you get to church. Come on. I'm kidding. We won't do that. But uh, we, we are excited to start a new series called We Think It's a Really Big Deal. And the it is a really big deal. Come back next week to find out what it is. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3 today. So uh, the book of Habakkuk, just about 10 pages to the left of the book of Matthew, if you want to find it in your Bible. Many people have never read this particular book. It's very short. There are only three chapters in this particular book. But who Habakkuk was is Habakkuk was a prophet. And what a prophet would do is a prophet would receive a word from the Lord, and then that prophet would give that word to the people that God would say, give this word to. What what makes Habakkuk a little different, a bit unique, is that Habakkuk did a whole lot more speaking to God on behalf of the people than he did actually speaking to the people on behalf of God. And and he's living in a time where he's witnessing the blessing of God being lifted off of the people of God, and he doesn't like that one bit, and there's starting to be this complaint among the people, and so he's lifting up his frustration to God. He's, he's lifting up the people's complaint, the people's worry before God, and Habakkuk has some hard questions for God. So if you were with us week one, chapter one, some of his questions were, God, it feels like you're not really listening. Are you listening? Are you here? Do you care? Ever ask that of God? Do you hear me? Do you hear the prayers that I'm praying? Do do you understand what I'm asking you to do? Do do you recognize the need in my family, the need in my marriage, the need in in our our children, the the need in my body? Do, Do you recognize the healing that I'm asking you for? Like, do you care? Are you able? He's got some hard questions for God. And, and, and he's basically saying to God, look, I know we've got some problems and we, we can address those problems, but, but I see a whole lot of injustice. And, and I would like for you, God, to deal with this injustice. And, and what happens is as we, we see that Habakkuk is wrestling with God and he's throwing these complaints toward God and he's saying, God, I need you to deal with this. God responds to Habakkuk and he says, basically, look, okay, I'm going to deal with it. I hear you and I do see a whole lot of injustice. So I'm going to deal with that injustice, but it's not the injustice that you see outside of you. It's the injustice that I see in my own people. Come on, somebody. So, so Habakkuk is like, deal with that injustice. And God goes, no, I'm going to first deal with this injustice. And so I'm going to deal with my own people. And Habakkuk is pushing back on God. And what God says to Habakkuk is, my answer to your question and my response to your plea, it's not going to be exactly what probably you're looking for. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to deal with the injustice that I see in my own people, and I'm going to use your enemy, the Babylonians, to deal harshly with you. So I'm going to take your enemy, an enemy more evil than you, 
an enemy uh, more vile than you, and I'm going to use a more evil and vile people to deal with my own people who are less evil and less vile than them, but I'm still going to let them have their way with you. And Habakkuk just doesn't get it. He doesn't want to get it. The people don't want to get it. And, and uh, how, how many know sometimes when God speaks, it's, it's not what we went to God for that is the issue anymore. It's when God speaks, we, we sometimes have a problem or an issue with his actual word. Any, anybody ever have an issue with the word of God? Like you read his word and know I've got, a, I've got a problem with this. You, you, you hear him speak and now what he's spoken becomes the issue and the issue is no longer the issue. This is what Habakkuk is dealing with. So, so when do you wrestle with God? Week one, we, we wrestle with God when we're so desperate for God to move. We're so desperate for God to come through. We've got fears and frustration and worry and anxiety, and we've got to let God have it. Come on, you can either hold on to it or you can let God have it. That's when it's good to wrestle with God. But then we talked about in week two, when do you shut up and listen? Well, there's two times I think it's real important to shut up and listen. Number one, when you've not heard God speak in a really long time, that's a good time to shut up and listen. Because we know that God doesn't have a speaking problem. We tend to have a listening and hearing problem. The question has never been, does God speak? The question is, are we willing to shut up and listen long enough to hear God speak? So if you've not heard God speak in a long time, that's a good time to shut up and listen. Another good time to shut up and listen is when God actually does speak and you know that God has spoken and instead of pushing back immediately on his word, just let that word settle and simmer and focus on that word. But what happens when you've wrestled with God, you've, you've, you've given him every prayer you know to pray, you've, you've thrown every complaint you know to throw, you, you've given him all the worry and anxiety in your heart, you've taken time to shut up and listen, you've, you've stilled yourself and you've quieted yourself in his presence. And whether or not God, God speaks to you in that moment, I, I believe he does speak. And if we just listen and still ourselves, he will speak to us. So, so maybe he, he spoke to you, but you just, just still not settled with that word. Or maybe you're still waiting for God to speak. And sometimes it's just like it's a test of our heart and our will and our resolve. You're waiting for God to speak. You're waiting for God to move. And you've been waiting, 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 waiting for a really long time. And there's still no answer and there's still no resolve and there's still no restoration and there's still no healing. There's still no miracle. What do you do then? I'm going to submit to you today that that is when you worship God no matter what. When you've been waiting, when you've been pushing, when you've been wrestling, when you've been quiet, when you've been still, and still there's no resolve, I'm going to submit to you today that that's when you worship God like you've never worshiped him before. Now, if this sounds impossible for you, because look, I know that oftentimes in life when we're in the weight, when we're in the struggle, when there's a whole lot of pain, when, when anxiety is, is just raging on the inside of us, it, it, it isn't my go-to response to worship. Like, like sometimes worship is a challenge in and of itself because we don't feel like worshiping. It's not our go-to response most of the time in life, especially when life gets tough. And so sometimes to worship God, no matter what, that just sounds like an impossible thing to ask people to do. So let, let's look at what Habakkuk does in Habakkuk chapter 3. Because there is a lot that we can learn from Habakkuk's response in this passage. Because here's what he says to the Lord in verse 1, chapter 3. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I have heard of your fame. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that past tense or present tense? Somebody give me the answer. Is he speaking past tense or present tense? Past tense. I have heard. Past tense. Then he says this, I stand in all of your deeds. Is that past or present? Okay, so he's, he's thinking past tense. I have heard of your deeds. I know the things that, God, you've done in, in our past. 
And while I'm thinking about what you've done, I'm now standing in awe of how great you are. So he's thinking past tense, but there's a present response. And what he says is, in the present, God renew them in our day. Renew your past deeds in our day. In our time, make them your past exploits, your past deeds, your past miracles known. Renew them in our day. If you're taking notes, the word renew in Hebrew, it's the word kaya or kaya, and it means to renew, to revive, or to restore. What, what, he's, what he's saying is, and what he's doing is he's looking back and he's saying, Lord, what is now dead but was once alive, would you make live again? Come on, somebody. What is now weak but was once strong, would you make strong again? What is now sick but was once well, would you make well again? Revive us, O Lord. Restore us, O God. He's looking back. He's remembering, he, he sees the goodness and the greatness of God, and he's saying, I want that here now. I want what I've seen here now. I want what you've done here now. When I'm in a crisis of faith, and I'm all wrestled out, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting on God for that appointed time, all the way back in chapter one, the appointed time, which is most often not our Time, but God's appointed time is always his perfect time. And I'm waiting on God's appointed time. And I'm, I'm not in a place to worship where, where worship feels natural. It, it doesn't uh, seem to be my go-to response. It, it almost seems impossible to ask anybody to worship in a moment like this, a crisis of faith. What do we do to make worship possible? Number one, we remember what God has done. We look back, we remember. Now we know that he's remembering because he says, I, I remember, I'm, I'm looking back, I, I, I've seen, I've, I've heard, I, I remember. But he goes on in the next few verses and he, he literally starts putting this spiritual discipline to practice. He, he says, God came from Timon, the holy one from Mount Paran. And then there's that word Selah, which, which basically means pause, reflect, think about what I just said. Now, most of us, what does that even mean, right? Like what, what does Mount Paran have to do with me and what I'm going through? Or what does it have to do with Habakkuk and, and what he's going through and the people, what, what they're going through? But understand that Mount Paran is where God led his people, having just led them out of slavery in Egypt. So after God leads them out of slavery, 400 years they've been enslaved. He, he parts the Red Sea so that his people can cross on dry ground and escape their enemy only to allow his people to look back and watch God deal harshly with their enemy, drowning their enemy in the sea. Mount Paran is where God leads Moses and the people having just delivered them. God is essentially saying to his people, look, I know you've been slaves for 400 years, but it, it, 400 years is enough. It's time for a new day. I am reviving you. Today's a new day. It's a fresh start for you. I'm restoring you to life again. And so what Habakkuk is doing is he's remembering that moment when, when God revived his people, and he's saying, just like God, you came through for us then, would you come through for us here now and again? And just the thought, just the thought of that moment triggers faith inside of Habakkuk. God, you did it then, I know and I believe you'll do it again. And, and this faith is triggered, triggered because that, that's what remembering does it, it triggers a response. That's also why what we choose to remember really matters a lot. We don't leave what we re remember to chance because we want to trigger our faith and not our fear. 
You choose to focus on the wrong things. You choose to remember the wrong things. Other things will be triggered inside of you that are not healthy or helpful for you. You want your faith to be triggered, then remember rightly. That's why remembrance is a spiritual discipline. A discipline is not something that you just get to by chance. A discipline is a discipline because there is intentional focus, effort, sacrifice. And the reason that remembrance is such an important spiritual discipline is, let me just give you three. Number one, God commands us to remember. He commands it. More than 160 times in the scripture we're told to remember. Matter of fact, almost 300 times in the scripture we find some form of this word remember, not to mention the countless times throughout the scripture we're told not to forget, which is basically the same thing as saying I want you to remember. Like Deuteronomy 6, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8, be careful to follow every command. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert and through the valley. Why? Because he's not just a mountaintop God. He is in and in the valley with you always kind of God. And we need to remember that. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the desert. Come on. He, he, he didn't just lead you to the desert. He led you through the desert. He didn't just take you to the desert and drop you off and go spend time with his other kids. He was with you in the desert, in that hard moment. Psalm chapter 10, verse 12. Do not forget the helpless, the helpless is why, church, we have boots on the ground right now in Haiti. Come on, somebody. We have boots on the ground right now in Haiti. Anybody grateful to be a part of a church? To be a part of a church that, that, listen, your giving already is making a difference in Haiti. We already have boots on the ground through our partners in, in Haiti. And, and uh, so, some of you may not know this, but, but before this church was, was planted, um, before we even had a name for Rock City Church, we, we didn't know what we were going to call this. Um, we called it the Columbus Church Project um, because we didn't know what the name was. Um, and, and it was, uh, I don't know if it was 09 or 10, I think it was 09. Um, the, the, the big earthquake before this one happened in Haiti and there was so much devastation and we started hearing from some, some ministry uh, partners uh, of, of other churches that we were supporting at the time before we were even a church. Um, we started hearing that, that there, there were churches that had collapsed and there were churches that need re, needed rebuilt. And um, we, we, we didn't have a whole lot of money in our Columbus Church Project account. And I remember looking at that account and, and saying to, 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 to one of the people on our launch team, look, this isn't going to plant the church in Columbus. Like, like we're going to need a whole lot more than this to plant the church in Columbus. What I know now is that there's a church in Haiti who needs our help. And so we literally emptied our account to help rebuild and support missionaries and pastors in Haiti before we even moved to this city to plant this church. And I just tell you that to, to, to say that it has always been our heart to go to where the need is. And, um, and I think it's safe to say that even though we did empty our account then, God has been quite good to us since then. And we've not been lacking anything ever because you can't outgive God. Amen. You're just not going to outgive him. That's why we're working with our partners right now in Afghanistan. And um, I want to say a few things about this, and this is what you call an official side note to a pastor's message, okay? Did you notice the shift? I'm just going to be unapologetic. This is a side note, okay? But it falls under this verse, right? Don't forget the helpless. So few things about what's happening in Afghanistan. And I, I served in Afghanistan. So I've, 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 I've met these people. I, I, I see the need and I, I feel a little bit um, maybe stronger connection than, than some of you might feel to the people of Afghanistan. But let me just say a few things about this. Number one, I think we would all agree it is an absolute disaster. That's what, what's happening in Afghanistan. It is a tragedy of epic proportions. And we, we can all be as angry as we want to be at the people who made this happen, right? We, we can be as angry as we want to be at the world. We can be as angry as we want to be at the situation, but that's not going to make a difference. That's not going to change anything, right? What's going to make a difference and what's going to change something is if we put our anger to action, if, if we turn our anger into action, because the Bible says when one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. And, and I, I hope you know this, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ right now who are suffering significantly right now. 
the church is suffering in Afghanistan right now. And so here's what you need to know, that there are two needs that we are responding to as a church. The need, first need is the need to evacuate as many people that are as high risk as possible, like the high risk people get as many people out as we, as we can. And we have a partner on the ground right now with skilled operators and, and just the, the most incredible people who are doing everything they can to evacuate as many people as possible. And we're putting dollars to work to make this happen. So that's, that's the first need is there are people who need to get out. And I believe as a church, we need to respond to that need. And if, if, if we have brothers and sisters who need to get out or children who need to get out, we need to provide whatever resource we can to help them get out. Amen. The second need, and this one might come as a surprise, what you may not realize is, is that I would say most in, in our partner on the ground, we, we have a partner called Run Ministries, and, um, and, and they are our partner who they, they've helped us translate the gospel of Luke into two uh, languages that have had no portion of the gospel whatsoever translated into their languages, and we're focused on that 1040 window, planting underground churches, supporting pastors where no other Christian church exists now until the one that we plant, and, and we, we've not even told you where those churches are being planted specifically other than they're in the 1040 window because that would put the families and the pastors at risk. And so you're just going to have to believe and, and tr trust us that we're planting churches in that window, but we can't tell you exactly where for their own safety, but that, that same ministry, they do have pastors, missionaries, churches that are operating secretly throughout Afghanistan, and, and what they're hearing from the vast overwhelming majority of the Christians who are part of that underground church movement is that they do not want to leave Afghanistan. That even though the Taliban is taking over, that is their mission field, and they are intent on staying grounded and planted in their mission field and doing ministry. Now, I want you to think about that because I, I don't think we realize how good we have it, church. I, I don't, I, we, we think we're the persecuted church. We're not the persecuted church because somebody talks about you on Twitter. That's not persecution. Just get off Twitter like I did. I'm not on it anymore because it's a cesspool of garbage. Amen? It's just garbage. So most of the Christians that are doing the work, they want to stay. And what they're doing are three things. Number one, they're rescuing orphans of war, orphan, orphan children, children who are at risk for being sold as child brides or sent for jihad. And, uh, and this, this partner of ours, they have a goal right now to rescue 1,000 children and get them into safe houses immediately. And they said, I said, how do you, how do you monetize that? Like, what, how, how, do you, how do we support that? How do, we, how do we put our dollars to work to save a child? And they said, to provide, to rescue a child and to provide for that child for an entire year, to put them in a safe house with the Christian family underground, and they are, they are providing all of the, the, the food and resources and everything that they need. It's $500 and it won't for one child, and it will provide for that child for a whole year. And I said, okay, all right, thank you. So they're doing that, rescuing orphans of war. Number two, they're, they're moving as many secret believer families into safe shelters as they possibly can, and they're providing those families with enough food and supplies to last them 30 days. So it's like, let's just get, let's just get through these next 30 days. Find a safe place, hunker down, shelter in place, and we're going to do our best to provide for you for 30 days. And the, the third thing is they're providing crisis care for families of martyrs, martyrs. Not people who get ridiculed on social media, but people who have their heads chopped off by ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, right, for being a believer in Jesus. That's real persecution, and there are a lot of families who are um, dealing with and suffering with the loss of loved ones, their father, their mother, their son, their daughter. And so um, they're, they're providing security, shelter, food, trauma, healing, counseling to these families. So I say all that to just say this. I want to encourage you, church, as, as we do prepare to give today, at the end of this worship experience, as we do prepare to give today, I want to encourage you to set something aside today to send straight to the need in Afghanistan and how you do that is through your offering envelope, 
You can just check the box legacy. If you're giving online, you can check legacy. If you're using text to give, just check legacy. Because for the next 24 hours, everything that's given toward legacy is going to go specifically to helping to this need, to meet this need. Everything, every legacy dollar for the next 24 hours. We I, I had a, I got a call from one of our legacy partners in the church just a few days ago, and he said, Chad, we personally, my wife and I, we personally are giving $50,000 just to meet this need. And he said, and it's not going far enough, it's, 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 it's small. When you really look at how many kids can we save, how many families can we evacuate, it's like it's not enough. But here's what we have. We're giving $50,000 to meet this need. And he, and he said, I, I just, I, I, he goes, I'm, I realize that there's nothing that I have that really matters, anything at all, this side of heaven. But the only thing that matters is the mission that we've been called to. It is, it is declaring the name of Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. And what better, what better mission can we be called to in this moment and in the midst of this crisis than to support our brothers and sisters who are on the front lines where, let's be honest, most of us don't want to be. To support the church doing the work that, let's be honest, most of us would be unwilling to do. You want to go to Afghanistan and plant a church, or do you want to give toward those who are doing the work that most of us aren't willing to do? So that's, that's my plea. At the end of this service, every dollar given toward legacy this weekend is going to go to assist our brothers and sisters in Christ because there is a need, and we will not forget the helpless in this church. Okay, official end of side note. Let's get back to the message. Is that all right? So remembrance is a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline because God commands it. Be careful. Watch yourselves closely. Do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children, to their children's children. Remember the wonders that God has done, his miracles, even his judgments. Remember to extol God's work. Job chapter 36, verse 24. Remembrance isn't something that we just stumble into. Because it's a discipline. Why? Because God commands it. <laughs> Number two, because it's just too easy to forget. We are prone to forget. Just like we're prone to wander, we're prone to forget. We often become so focused on what it is we're going through that we can't think about anything else unless we've developed the spiritual discipline of remembrance, to look back, to remember. Be careful not to forget the Lord your God because it's easy to. God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God who led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. That thirsty, waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. God who brought you water out of hard rock. I read that and I'd never seen this before, but this week as I was reading this passage, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, God who brings water out of hard rock, that's Rock City Church. Come on, somebody. That's Rock City. This is what we do because you can drink to your fill what the world has to offer you and you'll be thirsty again and you'll still die. But if you drink from the well, the spring of the water of life, you'll never thirst again. You won't just live, you'll live forever. You drink what Jesus has to offer, you'll live forever. So we're not offering people what the world is offering people. We're offering people what only Jesus can offer people, salvation, eternal life everlasting hope and peace and joy, amen? Never runs out, never runs dry. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors never knew. And he did it to humble you and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. Do not forget what God has done. Now, some of you might be pushing back a little bit in your heart or in your mind, and you might say, Pastor Chad, I, I don't have anything to forget. I, I don't know how to remember because I can't remember a single time where God's been good to me. I can't forget anything good because I've not had anything good in my life. I, I'm not the recipient of God's good work. I can't remember a time where God's been good to me. 
And I would just say to you, if that's you, look, just because you've not seen his goodness, number one, doesn't mean he's not been good to you. It just means you haven't seen it yet. Amen. You might, maybe you don't, don't know what to look for. Maybe you've been focused on the wrong thing. I don't know what, what it is. But, but just because you've not seen him at work doesn't mean he's not been at work. And, and, and I would even encourage you to, to, to sort of step into this, that, that if you don't have a day that you can look back and remember, how about you mark down this day? Because I have a sense in my heart that this day is going to be a day for you to remember because God, by the power of his Holy Spirit is about to do something in your life that you're never going to be able to deny it once you leave this space. I believe many of you will call on the name of Jesus for the first time in your life and many for the first time in a long time and you're going to sense his power and his presence in such a real and tangible way that if you have nothing to remember, remember today. The fact that you're here tells me God's been good to you. The fact that there's still breath in your lungs tells me he's not done with you. You woke up today to live another day. God's not through with you yet to be in God's presence here. And now it's not accidental. It is holy and providential. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me. Some of you for the first time today will do that in just a moment. And when you do, God's says, I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Here's another tip. If you can't see the faithfulness of God in your own life, then look for the faithfulness of God in somebody else's life. Because if God can do it for them, he can do it for you. And if you can't see the faithfulness of God in somebody else's life sitting here now or in your family or one of your friends, then I would encourage you to read your Bible because every word in this Bible is a word written for you. Every word, every promise, it's for you. And this book is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. And as you read it, the Holy Spirit stirs inside of you. This is the story of God's faithfulness, his provision, his plan. And what Habakkuk chooses to do is he chooses to remember. He says in verse 3, his glory covered the earth, his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. He stood and shook the earth. He looked, all he had to do was look, and he made the nations tremble because that's how big and how good and how great God is. He starts to look at creation. He, he starts to look at what's been made by God. He says, you split the earth with, with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. He's saying, God, if you can set the sun, moon, and stars in place, you can sh surely take care of me. And you can, if, if, if you can set every galaxy to be, surely you can take care of me. That's what he's doing. Because when we remember God's past faithfulness, it will help us to trust him in the present and for our future. Amen. And I think one of the great stories that, that really shows this and proves this point is the story of young David before he becomes king. Young David is willing to do what no other strong man is willing to do. He's, he's willing to go where no other strong man is willing to go. David said to, to Saul, the king, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, the giant, that nobody else thinks can be beat. Let no one lose heart. For your servant, I will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. Come on, young man, you, you, you're too young. He's been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, no, 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 you don't understand because I've been keeping my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear would come and carry off one of my sheep, I would go after it. I would take the sheep from its mouth. And when that beast would turn on me, I would strike it and kill it. I've killed both the lion and the bear. In other words, I've been through some things. They, they've not been as significant as this thing, but it's been enough. I know God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, my past foes, who I've seen fall. 
because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me past from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will rescue me now in the present and future. He's speaking present and future. From the hand of this Philistine, and Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. To which I can imagine David turning from the king and with a smirk on his face, thinking to himself, you don't have to wish for God to be with me, bro, because God is just with me. He's with me even when I don't wish him to be. He's with me when I wish him to be. So go ahead and wish for God to be with you. But I just know that I know that I know that I know that I know God is with me here and now. And go read the story. Come on. The giant falls. Because when you're in a crisis of faith, you don't just remember, you trust. Trust him. Trust him. And I want you to think about this. I don't know if many pastors have asked this question, but, but I, I want you to think about what, what, what real choice do you have, really, but to trust God, truly? What, what real choice do we have but to trust God, really? See, I'm a realist. And I know, you, you know, maybe somebody might push back on that and, and say, you know, you're not a realist, you're a pastor, you're a person of faith. But, but I would say a person of faith is a realist. Because let, let's be real, it takes more faith to believe this whole thing just came to be than to believe that God actually put it here. You, you, you tell me what other something has ever come from nothing, I'll wait. You tell me what has been created that has no creator, I'll wait. Like, where, 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 what, 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 what caused even the potential for a big bang? I'll wait. You see, somebody or something had to at least create the potential for something to happen, for something to exist. Nobody has an answer to that but God. I, I, I'm a realist, church. People who say follow the science, I love science, scientists are amazing, but, but all the scientist really is, and I'm not putting scientists down, I'm just being honest with you, all the scientist is, is like a little kid in a sandbox, playing in God's big sandbox, digging up and discovering whatever it is God's placed inside his sandbox that he wants to be discovered. That's all we're doing. All science does is reveal what God's already made. That's it, period. And so we're not anti-science, we're pro-science because science is pro-God when you really get to the heart of it. And no scientist is smarter than God. And no scientist is God. But there's a whole lot of them who think they are. We're so small. We're so small, but we think we're so smart. We're not that smart, church. What choice do you have but to trust God? See, Habakkuk, he trusts God. He's a realist. He trusts God even when God doesn't give him all the details. Like, like he knows what's going to happen, but he doesn't really know when and he doesn't really know how. And he says, God, I trust you, but man, I, I, if I'm honest, this whole thing scares me. Watch this. Verse 16, he says, when I heard what you had to say, my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. You, you're saying you're going to use our enemy to, to deal harshly with us. What, what does that mean? Are we all going to die? Am I going to die? Are we going to suffer? Like, what's going to happen? God, God you, you, you're giving me part of it. You're not giving me all of it. I, I don't see all the details. I might not ever see all the details. He, he said, decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. I could barely walk. Then he says this, yet I wait patiently for the day for your word to be fulfilled a word that I don't understand a word that I wish you hadn't spoken a word that doesn't make any bit of sense to me right now and then he goes on he says though the fig tree does not bud though there are no grapes on the vines though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit and in a food in other words my situation's not getting better it's getting worse And I've got more reason to worry than ever. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. What he says, what he's saying is, when I've got more reason to worry, I've got more reason to worship. When I've got overwhelming reason to worry, that's an overwhelming opportunity to worship. When I'm, over, I'm overwhelmed by worry, that is the best opportunity that I have to worship. 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I'm going to worship no matter what, no matter what my crisis of faith, no matter how bad my faith is being shaken, I'm going to worship. Why? Because worship blesses God. But come on, somebody, worship blesses God, but it fills me. It's an uneven exchange when you worship. Because when you worship, you're you're emptying out what's inside of you to the Lord, but he's filling you. You're emptying out what's inside of you only to be filled with the grace and the joy and the provision and the peace and the power and the the spirit of of God. He he says, "I, I, I inhabit the praise of my people. I love it when my people praise me. I love it when when I'm worshiped by my people. And I I just wanna encourage you today that if you need strength in your body, would you worship him? If, If you need an answer, would you worship him? If you're waiting on a miracle, would you just worship him while you wait on the miracle? Would you worship him not for the answer and not for the miracle, but would you worship him because he's simply worthy of our worship? Would you worship him because there's no God like our God? Would you worship him because he's worth it and he, and he loves you and you love him no matter what you're going through? Would you worship him? Worship him. It's called having a Habakkuk chapter three kind of faith where you can worship no matter what, but, but you can't have a chapter three kind of faith if you're not willing to have a chapter one kind of moment of wrestling with the Lord. And, and if you're not willing to endure a, a chapter two kind of wait where even his word doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, a chapter three kind of, kind of worship, a, a chapter three kind of faith, a, a chapter three kind of relationship with the Lord where you can get to James chapter one and you can read these words and, and you don't want to push back at all. It, it just says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces something good in you, perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete and not lack anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test of time, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That the Lord Jesus has promised. Jesus who, who considered it pure joy. Pure joy for the joy set before him. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Why would Jesus endure the cross? He endured the cross so that you and I would never have to. That's why it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, he who knew no sin, who willingly became sin so that, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God, so that Romans 10, 13 could be spoken over you. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus, who, who tells us to remember this very moment when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Every time you take this bread, take it and eat it and do it in remembrance of what I've done. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink the cup, drink it and do so in remembrance of me and what I've done. So what we're going to do today is we're going we're gonna to remember and we're going to worship. hope you're ready to remember and to worship. And I'm, I'm actually going to ask everybody, we're, we're, we're going to do this together, but we're, but we're going to do it in our own way and in our own time. So what, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to play a, a song for you. Just like we did last week, we're going to play a song for you. It's a, it's a, it's a new song, and I, I just feel like um, th- this is a holy moment. The, like the, the songs that God's been giving our team, they just fit. And we, we didn't plan to, to share this this weekend, but when I started to study this word, I felt like we needed to. So, so, so I, I'm going to just want you to prepare for this moment of reflection. 
As the song is played, I, I want you, before you take the bread and drink the cup, I want you first to just to think about who Jesus is and what he's done. And I want you to thank him for his presence in your life. I want you to thank him for his presence with you here now. And then at some point as this song is played on your own, I want you to take that bread and I want you to just say thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me. And I want you to eat it in remembrance of him. And then take that cup and say, Jesus, I, I know what this represents. Your blood poured out for me on the cross. Thank you for giving your life for me so that I could be alive today. And I want you to drink it in remembrance of him. And if you're in need today and if you are waiting on a miracle, you're waiting on a word, you're waiting on an answer, I want you to thank him for the miracle, for the answer before it comes. Just thank him because he's good. If you're here today and you, you've never received the most incredible gift, the gift of salvation, I, I want to invite you to, to receive that now. If you just close your eyes right here, wherever you're at, just close your eyes and say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's take a moment to remember and to worship. You are good. You are faithful. Even when I don't see. You are good. You are faithful. In spite of every part of me Cause even when I'm down in the valley I know that your spirit surrounds me Cause even when I'm down in the valley I know that your spirit surrounds me
Look for.